it was part of the evolution of me. Um, and, you know, maybe I would have kept on trying to swim with an injured shoulder, but I knew that there was other possibilities in my life. And, you know, the beautiful thing is that like after that, after missing out on that team, I came back and started continuing to swim with Melbourne Vic Centre, which is no longer um, a club in Melbourne. And the Australian Paralympic team came to train at MSAC and I was in a lane training next to them. And my first ever speaking engagement was to that team, telling them that, you know, there are there are moments where you um, will have the rug pulled out from underneath you. So be grateful for what you are about to go and do because I would give anything for it. And you know, that was that changed my whole career. G'day guys, coming up on the show today is L Steele. Elle is the National Project Manager for Disability Sports Australia's Building Inclusive Sports Club program. She's also a Paralympian, business founder, TEDx and motivational speaker, disability spokeswoman and so much more. Her mission is to educate others and promote the utmost importance of access and inclusion, both within the sports industry and day-to-day life. Lost look out for today, including Elle's career journey, how to make your organisation more accessible and inclusive, plus how Elle wishes all able-bodied people would view those with a disability. Let's go. I started volunteering. It's all about who you know in sport. Am I going to be calling the last 10 seconds of the grand final? You can connect with the interviewer. The hand goes up when they've got to make a decision. Having a network is one of the most important things you can do. I didn't necessarily follow my passion. I followed my curiosity. Once you've worked in sports, there's no going back. And then lo and behold, before I left, I got offered two. Hello and welcome to the SportsGrade podcast, the ultimate guide to make it in the sports industry. I'm Ryan Walker. Joining me is the highly engaging Ruben Williams. We are two mates who met at Cricket Australia back in the day and each week we learn how people made it in sports. We tease out their career decisions, their work habits, skills and everything that they do that makes them great. All so that you can get in, get promoted and get thriving in the sports industry. Rubinho, how are you, mate? Very well, thank you, Ryan. I feel like this city has just come alive over the last week because the biggest thing that's hit Melbourne has just happened, yep. and that is the February intake of the sports grade community. I was Na- going to say exact same thing. <laughs> 96,000 people rolling through the doors of the community every single night for, for two days that we're open. Yeah. Um, no, I am, of Sold course, out. I am, of course, referring to Taylor Swift, who's just hit town. I feel like everyone's just, just happy. So many people have gone yeah. to the concert, and those people who have gone to it are just you know, shedding their energy onto those around. So I feel like Melbourne's a happy place right now. The, the weather's matching it. Yeah. And, and people are becoming sports grade members too. The in- Swifty energy. Yeah. It's kind of how I put it. But yeah, you're right. There's a good feeling about the place. I think I saw something last night. It's like a bit of March madness about this time of year. We're about to enter March, obviously. We're mid-Feb at this point. But there's a good feeling. Lots of events happening. Um, you know, footy season's on the way. The weather's starting to, to get you know, quite nice to be mm. honest with you. So yeah, there is a good feeling, uh, but no feeling matches when community intakes are on. There's nothing better than joining the sports grade community. No, <laughs> there is nothing better. Uh, and it's been great over the last few days having new people join our community. Mm. It matched Swifty magic, let's be honest. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, so as we record, we are entering day two of the two-day intake. Yep. Yesterday we welcomed 40-odd new members. We'll hopefully get a similar amount today as well. And last night we um, had a speed networking Zoom call to, to kick it off where we had a packed Pack screen. Mm. It's always great when the Zoom call enters a second page. Yeah, yeah. And when we take the screenshot of everyone to share it online, we've got to like do it twice to make sure we capture everyone in. Yeah. So um, that went off last night and there's good energy about the community. A lot of introductions, people saying, hey, this is who I am. Here's how you can help me. Here's where I'm from. Lots of new people connecting, which we'd love to see. And mm. and um, a lot of good feedback as well. People messaging through saying like, oh, it was so easy to meet new members on the Zoom call last night. So it's a great time of year. It is. Big uh, big shout out to those new members. It's good to have you part of our community, which is growing at a rapid pace. Speaking of our community, we can't go into any episode without talking about our recent wins. And there's been some absolute monster wins. Some, you know, almost biggest wins of all time, Lit- I would say. Literally. I'm going to save the best till last. So yep. bear with me. First off the bat, Debichish Pimpraka, Sports Development Officer at Events Management Queensland. Well done to you, Deb. Number two, Shannon Jones, Media and Events Internship with Disability Sport Australia. Very relevant today. 
And finally, last but definitely not least, four years in the making, Shekhar Shridhar has got a permanent role at Cricket Australia as Customer Support Coordinator. Shekhar moved to Australia in 2020, the start of that year. He arrived and then COVID hit and he started a Masters of Sport Management at Deakin University to try and get a job in cricket in Australia's favourite sport. We connected a few months later. He's been a sports crowd member ever since day dot. He's probably listened to more episodes than anybody else. He literally counts and you know, he, he curates the adjectives that we use to describe mm. each other. <laughs> and um, through a lot of hard work and a lot of networking, a lot of volunteering, a lot of internships, he got into Cricket Australia in a contract role. He's done a couple of contracts in various departments. Now they've just offered him a full-time role at his dream organisation. He's finally got that stability. He can just like settle into Melbourne and enjoy working in cricket. So bravo to you, Shekhar. Both Ryan and I are very proud of the uh, transformation you've created in your life. And I know that just about every single member knows you as well. And so everyone will be very happy to, to hear the good news coming out of your camp. So well done to you, Shekhar. One of the nicest members we've got, and I think the what you said there around every most members would know who he is. He's, a, he's someone who gives back a lot. He's always happy to help other people. So I think it's um, it's one of the most satisfying wins we've been able to talk about on the podcast. I would think mm. over the journey. So uh, and I know Shekhar, he, he'd be he'd be listening, but he'd be also watching. Uh, so well done, mate. That's uh, bloody fantastic. Yeah. Uh, in terms of upcoming events, we've got a couple more in-person events coming up very soon. First one in Brisbane. The Brisbane meetup is happening on the 7th of March. If you haven't got a ticket to that, make sure you hop on it quick. And then we are heading back to Melbourne for an International Women's Day event on the 8th of March, which is happening that evening. So if you want to come along for some Friday drinks, talk about International Women's Day and hear from some incredible guest speakers, make sure you check the website to uh, get a ticket to each of those Otherwise, in the community, plenty of speed networking happening every fortnight. A couple of master classes coming up for the pro group as well. So if you want to stay up to date with everything that's going on at SportsGrad so you don't miss an opportunity to grow your career, grow your network, head to sportsgrad.com.au forward slash newsletter to subscribe. And you can also find a link in our show notes to join. Brilliant. Well, an amazing episode coming up. Enjoy this chat with L Steel. Are you aiming for a future in sport? Be ready to transform the industry. Study with Deakin and be prepared to redefine what it means to work in sport. Deakin's School of Exercise and Nutrition Sciences is ranked number one in the world. So if you want to turn your passion for sport into an impactful career, get ready to push the limits of exercise and sports science, sport coaching, sport development, sports management, nutrition sciences, physical education and more. Apply now to study at Deakin in 2024. L, welcome to the Sports Code Podcast. Thanks for having me. Elle, it's wonderful to be talking to you and, and even better to learn that you are down on the Great Ocean Road of Victoria, which is the birthplace for, for this podcast. There was, a, there was a point in time when I was living down in Lawn and operating out of a small studio apartment down there. So to know that um, our podcast guests are reciting from that part of the world is, uh, is special to us. So welcome. Oh, that feels really special. I I love like a um, full circle moment. <laughs> yes. Yeah. yeah. We don't get too many podcast guests from down that way. I think uh, Brian Taylor was probably the only other one who lives out the backside of lawn. So uh, you'll be the second, which is nice. Yeah. The, the coast does hold a special place in our hearts for us, given the first episode was off a, a coffee table in Torquay <laughs> with one microphone. Uh, so mm. it's good. Good mems of the uh, of the surf coast, L, which is which is good. It's we will start our app with our quick fire questions. I know we've worded you up about these before, but this is basically so that our listeners can get to know you a little bit more before we dive into the more important stuff. But uh, I will start first, and that is, what was your first ever job? Um, swim teacher at Bruddy Bards. Nice, <laughs> nice. And what did you study at university? Um, music industry event management and uh, advanced diploma of PR. Nice. I wanted to be a band manager, but, you know, that didn't turn out. <laughs> <laughs> oh, very good, very good. Uh, and your favourite sporting moment? Um, favourite sporting moment is Kieran Perkins coming up from lane eight at the Atlanta um, Olympics and winning the 1500. But also favourite sporting moment for me was winning a gold medal for Australia. 
Incredible. <laughs> Amazing. And uh, what's your favourite interview question to ask of candidates? Oh, I think that this was, I can't remember what I put in the form, but I know the the question that I do ask a lot of my clients is, if you were a dessert, what would you be? Was that the question I put? Yeah. Yeah, that, that, that's the intel we got back as well. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I like to know what, how they would just. Um, I just made it up one day. I was like, hmm, I need to know some kind of insights about what people think about themselves. I do um, like co- like coaching and facilitation and those kinds of types of things and it's a bit of a weird question and so they have to kind of think outside the box for the answer. So it's just a, you can be like if you were a car, what would you be or if you were a, yeah. So, and I like dessert so I kind of stuck with it. Nice. Rubes, what, what dessert would you be? Oh, great question. Um, I don't know. The first one that came to mind was a chocolate mousse, which might just be a reflection of what I like to eat the most, but um, <laughs> I'm not sure how my yeah. characteristics are, um, you know, personified in a chocolate mousse, but I, I might I might go and think about that one. <laughs> <laughs> well, chocolate mousse is good, so I think that's a, that's a good answer. Next one, Elle, was what's uh... – <laughs> Rue's always accidentally asked to, so we've got to, we've got to stop him when he gets momentum here. Um, what is uh, what's a book or a podcast that's helped you along your journey? I can't remember any of the things that I typed into your forms now, so I'm just going to say this is a bit of, this is a bit kind of oh the giant I think it was the giant leap or the great leap, which is a book about hitting your glass ceiling, but probably the book that changed my life. Um, was a book called You Can Heal Your Life by Louise Hay, which is probably a little bit out there for a sports podcast, but I work in spirituality as well. So essentially the book is about um, choosing your thoughts to create your reality, like choosing how you want to react to things, which actually if you're an athlete is something that you need to cultivate really early on in your career. But I'd never thought about it in the way that she writes about it. And I read it, I read that book when I was in the middle of my retirement from swimming. And it was, yeah, life-changing for me. Love that. I'm going to have to go look that one up. And um, yeah, what is one platform you use at work that you couldn't live without? Um, I'm a sexy XL babe. Um, <laughs> I try and use other platforms, but I just always come back to um, <laughs> me and my friends call it Sexl um, because <laughs> it works and it's, you know, it has lots of different features. You can do formulas and... Um, you can write lots of text in it and all that kind of stuff. And also Google Sheets is nearly, nearly the same. So, um, yeah, for a project manager, you need to have something that ha- you can hold every piece of information in it and, and Excel has always been my bestie. Trust the Excel. We'll never be defeated. We'll be the number one platform for life, I think. <laughs> I'm going to be a grandma using Excel, yeah, forever. Yeah, very good. Good old, uh, good old sex L. Um, <laughs> last one, L. If you had thirty minutes to pick anyone's brain, who would it be? Um, I would. I'd love to chat to Oprah, and I know that's like super cliche, but I just think she's a really interesting person. Um, I would love to. I would love to talk to her about things that she doesn't divulge to the public. Um, and see if there's there's kind of shadow parts to her or she seems like this really held together, wonderful, amazing, you know, person that kind of has ch- achieved all these wonderful dreams. But I wonder if there's still things that she feels that she hasn't had in her life and um, I would love to talk to her about that. It's not, not cliche for this podcast. We get a lot of people who want to talk to sporting heroes and whatnot, but uh, Oprah is probably yeah. uh, a first for us. So um We'd love to hear that. I don't think we've had Oprah. No. Awesome. Well, let's dive into it because um, uh, before we get into your journey and everything you're doing, can you explain to us what you're up to right this second? Because you're a very multifaceted person. So what is uh, what does your world look like at the moment? My world looks like lots of Excel at the moment, um, but for a reason. Um, so I'm the national project manager of a program called Building Inclusive Sporting Clubs, which is um, funded by the federal government but run by Victoria University and partnered with Disability Sport Australia. Um, so I work um, as part of the Victoria University team. I'm an alumni from VicUni um, and 
essentially my role is to make sure it happens. Um, if I watch too much Grey's Anatomy, it won't happen. Um, so it's getting all the not beautiful nine facilitators from all over Australia that are women with disabilities organised um, in workshops and peer visits and making sure they're feeling like they're um, contributing to the project and a lot of that kind of stuff. Um, and working with VU and DSA to make sure that we're running um, and working with these clubs that are part of the project. So the whole kind of premise behind it is creating inclusive sporting clubs, but not from a compliance point of view. So a lot of a lot of the time people get stuck on that kind of DDA or Disabilities Discrimination Act um, idea of how things have to be, but we're actually coming from the angle of we have lived experience and we can, if you talk to us, we can educate you on how to communicate better to us or how to build a community that is inclusive to people with disabilities, um, not from a compliance and kind of uh, like tick the box point of view. So, yeah, it's it's th this is the second project I've run with Victoria University. We had a state project and then a national one. Um and the facilitators, I've got to say, the facilitators that we have in, had in both projects, like there's not really a lot of work out there for women with disabilities in this space, but these women are like, they're so incredible. A lot of them are Paralympians. Um, a lot of them are training to be Paralympians or like really high-level sporting women. And um, they're giving of their time and their expertise in a space that can, as a person with a disability, can sometimes feel repetitive and trauma-inducing. Like I talk a lot about that in my TED talk about continually having to educate in a space can sometimes feel like you're hitting your head a bit against a brick wall. But this project is, because we've got this beautiful group of, um, you know, besties that are behind the scenes all helping each other, um, it's been such a wonderful adventure to go on for the last like I think it's been maybe nine months now so yeah that's what I do I make sure that it happens every day. You mentioned one thing that not everyone would be aware of and that was the, the DDA what, what's like is that like a set of rules or guidelines that are in place that sounds like it's a bit rigid compared to what you guys are coming up with? Yeah, absolutely. So DD, it's the Disability Discrimination Act, and it was created in 1996. And essentially, it means that um, it's like you can't um, deny access to a person with a disability into your building, those types of rules. Or if you want to build a ramp, it needs to be a particular gradient so that the person with the wheelchair can push up easily. Funnily enough, it's not actually... <laughs> Um, it's kind of compliant, but it's kind of not um, in Australia. So a lot of businesses or organisations can actually get away with not having to worry about DDA compliance and not getting in trouble um, with it. But it's something that people with disabilities can lean on um, in terms of like Fair Work Australia or if there's disability discrimination in their workplace and that kind of stuff, they would go through a dis the Disability Discrimination Act to help them, whereas our project is a lot like, um, hi, we're humans, but we have disabilities. All you need to really do is talk to us and we can create beautiful relationships with you and you can learn from our lived experiences, which yeah. I feel is um, a more positive and a bit like the modern way to go in, in terms of bringing disability awareness to Aberwads. Um, the old way of kind of being angry about it, it kind of doesn't fly with me. So we don't really... Um, kind of go down that track in this project we go for coming from a positive educational point of view sounds like a lot more empathetic way to to go about it as well if you're actually talking to the people who it's going to impact yeah absolutely and you know it's I I'm not going to blame like for example if you don't know what it's like to have a disability because you have never experienced in your life or have anyone that you know who has a disability well that's not your fault so it's not my job to berate you about it it's my job to um in some ways my job to help you and educate you but it's also in some ways your job to go away and educate yourself on it as well so it, it is that fine line between um, relying on the person with a disability to come up with all of the answers but 
with this project, it's been really wonderful in the sense that the clubs have come in and we've had these sessions called a community of practice where we come in and talk about a common goal and the clubs come in and ask lots of questions and they've got a particular project they're working on or maybe it's just about making their club inclusive and um, we talk about it for, in a in a way that brings humour in and we tell stories and it's a safe space for them to come in and learn instead of a um, this is what you need to do in order to be compliant. I think that that way is the old way of doing things. Nice. And what a what? How have the results been so far? Has it been a real success since it came in, or like has it been a, a challenge, or what's what's that been like? No, it's been incredible. We've got. I think the last um, piece of data I got was something like eighty-seven percent of the clubs now feel like they could walk, go away and feel like they could create an inclusive project or practice. We call it a good practice within their club, um, which is amazing. The The main kind of feedback that we generally get is um, we don't have enough funding and, I mean, that's just a kind of a story for a lot of sporting clubs. Um, but it, there is ways that you can get around accessibility and inclusivity without needing money um, and so much of that is just about creating a warming and, and inviting community for people with disabilities and and doing things like small things like we've talked about websites you know if you don't have a picture with a person with a disability on it or even worse if you've got a stock image of a person that looks like they're in a wheelchair but the person with a disability looking at your website can tell it's just a model in the wheelchair that kind of turns us off so it's about kind of you know getting getting out there and calling in the people with disabilities into clubs and organizations to to learn as a community it doesn't have to be us and them yeah i can see how that would be a a massive ick to anybody looking at a website it's like you don't need to be in that chair (laughs) (laughs) i'm like your legs look really normal (laughs) (laughs) with all that in mind um l can you give us a bit of a background and, and context as to like your journey where you've come from so that people understand like why you're doing this super important work now Yeah, so I was born with a disability called arthrogryposis multiplex congenita, um, which you will now need to go and practice to learn how to spell. Um, I was going to say, say that again. (laughs) Um, Essentially, it means that my muscles and my joints don't fit properly together. I've got really loose or really tight ligaments. Um, The when I was diagnosed as a baby, they thought that it was just in my hips, my knees and my ankles. Um, but as I've grown older, we've realized that it's pretty much everywhere. Um, it's just level, like different levels of um, kind of contractured joints that they, they call them the joints where they've got little knobbly bits on them. So it's very arthritic. I can feel things kind of moving around. I've had both my knees replaced and just last year I had my ankle fused um, where I was in bed for seven weeks um, waiting for the bones to fuse. So arthrogryposis is not really a fun disability, um, but I used to use swimming for therapy. And um, from age 11, I made my first national team and ranked myself in the top 20 and 15 in the world for the 50 and the 100 freestyle um, and decided that I was going to Sydney 2000 Paralympics and kept on training and um, won a gold medal at 14 at our, our our kind of, not the Commonwealth Games, but our kind of secondary um, B team international competition called Fesbic and in the 100 free and then kept on training and, and went to Sydney when I was 17. And, um, yeah, it was amazing. I was on the team for Aussie team as a swimmer and, and a couple of years as an Aussie captain for 13 years. And, um after that, I then played wheelchair rugby as the first female to play wheelchair rugby for Victoria and um, within Australia for about, I think it was about six years until my body began to fall apart um, and I had to retire to have my first knee replacement at like 30, I think it was 34. So it's been a, a long kind of sporting career, but I've worked at the Institute of Sport. I've run um, sports and schools programs and um I just want people to, people as in able-bodied people, so I like to call you muggles, um, <laughs> I just want you to see us as whole human beings. And I know that the majority of people probably do, but there is still this kind of perception, particularly in this country, about 
us needing to be rescued or the assumption that we can't do things or we need certain things. And, you know, I'm a 40-year-old um, single woman, I but I own my home. I have an incredible job. I've represented my country. I've done a TED Talk. Like I, my list of achievements is like pretty long. And But I just happened to get around in a wheelchair. Um and there's so much focus on the things that I that still that I I can't do or that that are not appropriate or not enough that I don't want people I, I want to educate them that that's actually not my truth and and that's why I love this program so much because not only have I been able to show people that by facilitating and just being myself on the calls or as the project manager but I can also educate the beautiful facilitators that what people believe about us is not our truth either. Um, And, you know, we've got a couple of young facilitators who are new to disability, you know, like three or four years in, and they're, you know, this is their first ever job. They thought they they became disabled and thought they would never be able to get a job. And, you know, being able to ring them up and say, hi, I want you to be one of my facilitators and them crying on the phone because they never thought they'd be able to get employment is like I would never, ever not want to do that kind of be able to give something like that to someone it's too special you mentioned um not wanting people to think that we are people who need rescuing and saving i was wondering could you share an example of what that looks like or sounds like coming from people just so people can understand like your point of view and and how that affects you yeah, oh God, I probably don't really have. Oh, well, I don't really have any examples that have probably happened in the last couple of years. But like a lot in my, like in my uni days, I would have lecturers tell me that I couldn't do the career that I wanted to do. Um, I would often, and you know, maybe I couldn't, but also like just let me live a little bit and test it out myself. I don't need to be told. Mm. Um, oh, I people when I went traveling uh a couple of years ago with my parents to Uluru the air hostesses like this was like 2021 I think air hostesses would not acknowledge me or speak to me talk to my parents instead um and I mean there are there are obviously people with disabilities that have different communication styles or they need people to communicate for them but it's pretty obvious that I'm not one of those people with disabilities um Oh, yeah, I've had people tell, I've had nurses tell me while I've been hospital that um, one particular one was that if I could just like get my body back in shape, um, that I would be able to swim like an Olympian, but I'm already a Paralympian, like I don't need to be any better than that. Um, yeah, people feel like they can give you you judgments um, or like be part of your life. It's really quite strange um sometimes it's not all the time but it just kind of sometimes grates on you a bit which is why um I am particularly protective of um myself and for and the facilitators when it comes to are you are you a bit are you burnt out with this project like are we or are you burnt out talking about this topic are you are you okay to do this and that um because yeah it can it can get it can get tough sometimes, you know, you might just be going down the supermarket and someone, um, one guy once said to me <laughs> that he knew what it felt like to be in a wheelchair because he'd had his finger cut off as a, as a child. Oh, God. <laughs> and, Come on, mate. Uh, and I'm missing some of my fingers too because I've got a, another disability called amniotic band syndrome, which is a different one. And so I was like, well, I know how you feel too because... I've got missing fingers as well as I'm in a wheelchair, so I still one up him. <laughs> I think that's fair. Didn't quite read the room that bloke. <laughs> no, but that's <laughs> so many people don't. But so you've got to have a sense of humour, otherwise you'd just be rolled up in a ball watching Game of Thrones. <laughs> yeah, I'm actually yet to watch that. Uh, I, I need to get onto Game of Thrones eventually in my life. I think. Yes. Um, Eld, like you've you've talked about a couple of challenges there but you know in terms of your career you've had a really long career you've got some fantastic achievements on the way but are there any particular challenges along the way that um I guess you've you've worked through and you've got through to to get to where you are now there was one particular challenge that I had to overcome but I'm very grateful for it now um 
at the Athens 2004 trials, I missed out on the team by 0.03 of a second um, in the 400 freestyle. But the reason being was that my bathers split. <laughs> um, so <laughs> I pushed the ball and swam like a personal best 50 free and then did a tumble and my tog split on the tumble. Um, and I, I had to decide in that moment whether I was going to keep on swimming or not, and I decided to keep on swimming, but I wasn't able to do tumbles anymore, so it kind of slowed my time down considerably. But I made it under the six minutes for the first time ever in my career. Um, but, yeah, it was pretty tough because I, like, was no longer, like, in place for captaincy or anything like that. Um, and it was essentially the beginning of the end of my swimming career. After that, my, my shoulder started to kind of um, – play up and I later realized that I most of my bicep was no longer attached so we I, I basically just had to retire due to injury and and I've had to retire due to injury in my in rugby too and um I think when the decision is made for you it's much harder than when you get to make it yourself so um yeah it's been pretty tough to kind of go through those moments and 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 with my particular disability, I've had 37 surgeries. So it's the life that I've had, oh. yeah, has been, uh, I've got, I had a wonderful life. Like I'm having a wonderful life. I'm like so happy and living my best life. But, yeah, it can be hard to kind of continually get to a point in your career or whether it be sporting or even, you know, my career now and then have to stop for surgery and then go through the recovery process and then kind of, you know, it's like winding yourself up again, like a top hat. And then, then you're like, oh, I feel like I'm flourishing. And then something might happen. And you then have to think, think about pain relief or going back into a, um, an area of, um, surgery or rehab or something like that. So, yeah, but I'm, I'm, I'm now back in the gym for the first time in eight years. And I've, yeah, been training since November last year. And it feels like so incredible to be back, doing exercise because I really felt trapped in my body for the last eight years. So yeah, it's, uh, I'm, I've made some jokes about powerlifting in like 2032, but I don't think that I'm going to do that. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. I was going to say, come back on the cards yeah. or what's going on here? Nah, I think that uh, my body would like, I'll become like the witch of, um, of, you know, the one that melts at the end of the Wizard of Oz. Like, we can't, I can't <laughs> handle it. I'm being held together by titanium and screws. It's not a good idea. <laughs> um, how did you make that transition into wheelchair rugby? Was it something that you had in mind before finishing swimming or did you get to the end of swimming and thought, what next, and someone put this in front of you? What did that change look like? Yeah, so I yeah retired from swimming and had a couple of years of just working at the pool and I was head of aquatics there and swim teaching, um, but I felt pretty lost. I had a, um, a lot of depressive feelings and loneliness because I'd come from like this life and back then there was no supports for Paralympians. So I'm like really from back in the day, like I didn't get my dolphin pin until like 20. I had to wait 22 years for it. So, like, we weren't really considered Australian dolphins when I was a swimmer. Um, there was no funding or anything like that. My mum and dad used to hold, like, dinner parties at home and charge people $25 a head to raise money for me to go and travel. Um, but my friend Bryce Allman, who I'll give him a plug, he's got Rove wheelchairs um, and um, they're made out, they're print, they print them, like they're um, – they're the most beautiful new wheelchairs out kind of in the market. So go and have a look at them. But um, Bryce, yeah, I'd known him since Sydney. He went to Sydney as a rugby player and we were both Victorian Institute of Sport athletes together and he said, come and play. And so I was like, all right, he's like my big brother. I'll come and play. And um, the first time I saw a game, one of the guys tipped forward in his chair and hit his nose on the court and two pieces of bone kind of, poked out from his nose and I thought, yeah, this is sick. I'm going to play this. So, yeah, got classified. Luckily I could be classified because even though I don't have a spinal cord injury, I'm classified as a quadriplegic because all four limbs are impaired and because it's quad rugby. Yeah, and then I got to like go around Australia and play with all the boys and it was so amazing. When I first started I used to pretend that I couldn't do certain things on the court so they give me the ball, but then I would just – steal it and um <laughs> kind of use the, 
is the them wanting to make me feel kind of included in the whole system. But yeah, afterwards they I wasn't really allowed to do that because I'd made the the state team, so they knew I could play. But yeah, it was amazing. Wow. It was so great to be able to. I don't have brothers, so it was good to be able to travel with the boys too and experience that. That would be a lot of fun. <laughs> Yeah. yeah. <laughs> now the cool thing is they've got three women on the Australian team and one non-binary person, which is like so, so amazing after it just being like it was meant to be a mixed sport all along, but it was only ever just like the guys and then me. And then, um, yeah, now they've got, yeah, these three women and, and non-binary person just like smashing the, the team. So, yeah. Oh, that's great. Can you, you talk a little bit about your experience as a Paralympian and then sort of post Paralympics? Like what were the main learnings and, and takeaways that you took away? Oh, God. I think um, I probably the biggest thing I learned was that when you're 17, you're not a grown-up and you can't really conceptualise how big like going to the Paralympics is. Um it was so amazing, but it was also probably one of the hardest things I've ever done in my life in terms of the pressure that you are put under. Um, and, you know, I, I was lucky I had a, I had the team coach that, in all honesty, I don't didn't rate at all, um, but I had my own individual coach who I loved and we'd been together for 10 years and she was a beautiful, um, supportive person to me in those days. Um, and I'm really lucky that I had her in my back pocket. Um, and on the day of my ice, I raced on the second day of swimming. So, um, and then I had the rest of the like nearly 10 days in the village just to kind of experience and be a cheerleader and all that kind of stuff. So it was pretty amazing. Um, but she basically just said, you're at the Paralympics. All you have to do is just try and do a PB. So I was trying to get under six minutes for the 400 at that stage, but I did a time of 602. Six, uh, no, six minutes and six point six six. That's right. I swam. I ranked in at six oh two, and then did a two second PB. Um, but it was really, really interesting coming home because for twenty years, it for probably twenty years, it took me that long to realize that what I had done was incredible. Because when you're in it the coaches are like, it's just another competition. It's just don't don't think about don't think that you're at the Paralympics. You just imagine that it's states or like there's a competition called Decembers at MSAC. Um, you know, just a little competition to like get a PB. And that had been drilled so deeply into my neural pathways that I I used to just tell people that oh the reason I went to the Paralympics is because I liked swimming. Um but it's not because I like swimming, it's because I was one of the fastest swimmers in the world. Um, you know, I was ranked in the top five in the world for my classification for the 400 freestyle. I was ranked top three in the world for the 800 freestyle. And um, that's not just because you like swimming. So, yeah, it was it was amazing and it was really hard. And I think the takeaways I kind of have from that and using my work now and in my career and in my life really is this kind of idea of you did that so your brain can do anything. Um, I had this particular scenario where I was driving down um, through the tunnel um, to get to uh, from Melbourne to Carrum Downs to get a, have a chair kind of uh, service and I thought my car was dying in the tunnel, my old car, and I thought, hang on a second, it's all right if you just breathe. Like if you just imagine that you're behind the blocks, you'll be able to breathe and calm yourself down. And so those types of skills, like every in every day, it's so, so powerful to be able to use those skills. And, you know, when your doctor tells you that you're going to be in bed for 12 weeks, it, inevitably it was only seven, but to recover from this surgery, I just turn my athlete mind on and just – you know, decide that it's going to be okay and that my everything is going to be perfect and I'm going to assume the best race of my life or I'm going to do this. And in the gym now when I'm doing exercises, I actually visualise when I'm doing any of my cardio, I just visualise me that I'm swimming and because I can pace myself so per- perfectly because I know what it feels like in my body. It, it is amazing how 
just hard work gives you evidence to suggest you can do hard things and how that translates into your own mindset, feeling like you have the confidence to get through through anything. Um, and um, when you were telling me your story about going to the Paralympics but not actually recognize, being recognised to going to the Paralympics, <laughs> it always reminded me of, um, was it Vincent van Gogh, who's the, the artist who painted all these incredible paintings but never got the recognition until he passed away? Like, thank goodness you're still alive yeah. and you can recognise what you've created. But um, it's, it is a shame that it has taken so long for, for you and, and for society to actually be like, you know, what you did was incredible. Yeah, it, it, it's really, and it's so interesting because, like, m- move my mum and dad are moving house, so they're dropping off all my uniforms that were stored in the roof, and I've got like I've got a whole cupboard full of uniforms. I've got I've got over a hundred medals of all different colours. At one competition when I was thirteen, I won twelve gold medals. <laughs> if that was a able-bodied athlete, like that would have been like all over the news and everything. But it was just. You, we never got the recognition and we do now to an extent. But one of the things I also talk a lot about in my work and the talks that I do is that there is so much focus on that gold medal mentality. The athletes, like sometimes it could be that you're, you're on the day your bathers just split, but it doesn't mean that you weren't just as good as every other athlete there as well. Um, and I would love it if Australia could see that the athletes that maybe don't win on the day, like their backstory could be have been that they've won all these gold medals for Australia but they just didn't at the Olympics or the Paralympics. But, you know, to be able to get to that point, there were only, I mean, it was Sydney so they were, took more athletes. They took 53 athletes. Usually it's only around 27 athletes that they'll take away like for an overseas trip. So even those types of numbers make you – start to go, oh, well, there was 53 athletes. So, you know, I mustn't have been that good because there were like, but literally there were, oh, there's like a billion people in this country. There were 53 people and you went. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. very small percentage you're a part of. Yeah. Yeah, time time to be like, yep, okay, I was a jet. I was very good. (laughs) Um, Quick one, Elle, before we sort of get into some some of your, your work now and sort of digging deeper into that, but how did you... How did you deal with that uniform split? Because when, when you said that to me, I was like, oh, my God, like the only reason why you didn't achieve that that goal was because of a bloody uniform split. And, like, that would just be so, you know, so frustrating, like incredibly frustrating. Is that something that, like, you, you took a while to get over or did you just kind of throw it away and be like, hey, that's life? Or, like, how did you get over that? <laughs> No, I'm pretty sure I was like 21 or 22 and I was super dramatic about it. But I, when I was in the water, I remember thinking, I don't know if I remember, I remember thinking, I don't know if I can do this. I I think, but if I don't do this, then, and if I don't come eighth, then I'm not going to get a second chance to, like, I can't swim in the final. I've got to make the final and then I can swim as fast as time. Funnily enough, I came ninth and then the person, I asked the person who'd come eighth, can they swap out for me? And they wouldn't, but that's just part of the L Steel story. Um, yeah. I actually rang my, 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 one of my best girlfriends the night that the team was announced at the end of the meet after the bathers split and she was part of the story in a way because her mother was the masseur on the Australian, like the Olympic team. And so I'd met her, I actually met her through uni, but her mum was the masseur and her mum helped me get a new pair of bathers because, because I wouldn't have got a replacement pair because I wasn't an Olympian. So Olympians, you get bathers all the time, but as a Paralympian back in the day, you had to spend the 700 bucks to get the fast skins. Um, so Joe got me a replacement pair and I rang Al um, after to tell her that I was hopeless, that I was never going to achieve anything, that I was the worst person in the world, and that I that everything that I had done up until this moment w- was basically worthless, and I was going to amount to nothing. And she said to me, and the reason that she said this to me is because at Sydney Olympic Park, all of our names are engraved in bricks from the Sydney Olympics or Paralympics and mine's right near the pool. And so she was like, go and sit with your brick. And she said to me, you're like Dorothy from the Wizard of Oz who is going along this path and 
you're going to have cracks you have to jump over and pools you have to swim through, but it doesn't matter what happens. It all, all, the only thing that matters is what you learn from this whole process and don't think about the outcome. And I've never forgotten that conversation because one, Al, I love her, but she's not very eloquent. So it was a really eloquent, beautiful thing for her to say. And she would agree with me if she is listening to this podcast. Um, but it was so profound because it actually made me go, oh, all right, well, if I don't have this anymore, what else can I place in front of me and on this path to help me get to where I want to go? And that was rugby. And then it was you know, my injury with my shoulder and I call this, I had really confronting things happening with Western medicine doctors who didn't believe any, that I had any pain in my shoulder. So then I went to a spiritual healer and like took me down that path and then had a bit of my career in that space. And which is really interesting and because sport and spirituality are deeply connected, but sport and spirituality don't think they're connected at all. And so all, so much of that has, that moment of that bather splitting was like a catalyst for my life. It changed my whole life. Yeah. Um, and it was one of the most tragic things that have ever happened to me, but I'm really, really grateful it did. It's funny how those horrible situations end up being catalysts for good. And there's not too many people the other side of something bad happening and can become a much better person for it and turn around and say, actually, I wish that never happened because you don't become the person that you end up being as a flow on effect. Yeah, it may, it, it was part of the evolution of me. Um, and, you know, maybe I would have kept on trying to swim with an injured shoulder, but I knew that there was other possibilities in my life. And, you know, the beautiful thing is that like after that, after missing out on that team, I came back and started continuing to swim with Melbourne Vic Centre, which is no longer um, a club in Melbourne, and the Australian Paralympic team came to train at MSAC and I was in a lane training next to them and my first ever speaking engagement was to that team, telling them that, you know, there are, there are moments where you um, will have the rug pulled out from underneath you, so be grateful for what you are about to go and do because I would give anything for it and you know, that was, that changed my whole career. So yeah, I'm really, really grateful for that moment. I've still got the, I don't have the bathers that split, but I've got the bathers that, um, the replacement togs, I've still got them. <laughs> nice. <laughs> well, thanks so much for sharing everything about your, um, athletic career. Um, I think that's incredible context for people listening in to be like, girl, why, why is Elle so passionate about this space? Um, I want to dive into, um, inclusive workplaces and specifically practices that organizations can implement there, to begin with like are there any pieces of say low-hanging fruit that are just easy wins that most organizations are missing at the moment that they can do to make their workplace more inclusive yeah one of the um really really easy things that you can do is in your recruitment process um get a tick the box that says, do you have any, any access needs or additional needs? Um, pardon me. We don't, as a person with a disability, I don't actually legally have to disclose that I have a disability. Although on my CV, it says I'm a Paralympian. So it's pretty obvious. Um, but a lot of people don't, they, they won't have that. So, um, they can disclose or non-disclose, um, whether they have, they have additional needs. Um, make sure your workplace is accessible. In my early days of trying to get a job, I applied for so many jobs and then I, I would get to the interview stage and tell them that I was in a wheelchair and they would say, oh, actually our, our offices are up three flights of stairs, you can't come. Um, so, you know, something on your website that says this is a wheelchair accessible venue or um, we we cater to people with disabilities, those types of things. Um, and, you know... Be open-minded. Um, I, I, I believe that people with disabilities are the, one of the most innovative cohorts of humans on the planet, if not the most innovative. The amount of things I have to think about just to leave the house um, is would send anyone who just can pick up their keys, their wallet and their phone and go out and hop in their car in two seconds into an anxiety attack. Um 
you know, it's it the way that we have to manage and, and live in the world is is pretty powerful. So you want those brains on your team. Um, so, you know, being open-minded and um, being brave to just employ a person with a disability is, um, you know, it's really good for people to be, what's the word, like in close proximity to us. And that's a pretty easy thing to do. It's just people get scared. Mm. It makes a lot of sense. Like, like people learn by being put through challenges and then connecting the dots in their mind and they form new memories of things. Like I think that's how, you know, musicians are typically, you know, quite smart people because when they're trying to connect music with their fingers and whatnot and, you know, for people with disabilities who are going through all sorts of different challenges, you just it sounds like you just have to think about a lot more things which would develop yeah. a pretty strong mind. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, I mean, things like, all right, well, will I get a car park? Okay, it's raining. I can't push and hold an umbrella, so I need to make sure that I get a car park that's under cover or actually I don't need to just ring him up and say that I can't make it today or I've had a really bad sleep because I ate some eggplant and that makes my joints get inflamed. And so do I take the drugs now? If I take the drugs now, well, I won't be able to drive later. Like it's it's all um, – and things, I mean that's just from my point of view. Like I don't even know what it feels like to have um, like ASD or to have a different way of communicating or to be blind or having a hearing impairment, you know, like there I'm coming at it from still from my perspective and my point of view. I have an idea what it's like to have a vision impairment or hearing impairment because my friends have told me, but I can never know what it feels like for them unless I am put in their shoes. So, um, yeah, it, it's really, really, it, it's so, so much um, bigger than what people think it is living with a disability. It's not just getting your wheelchair out in and out of the car and getting to where you need to go. Um, and that's why we talk a lot about in terms of access that um, it's so funny that people think that particular car parks are accessible, but like if it's an accessible car park on a hill, then my wheelchair is going to roll away, which actually has happened. Um, and it, it, it rolled all the way down the car park and I'm just lucky someone saved it for me or like if you place an accessible car park on a bunch of cobblestones, well, then that's not accessible either. So it's, there is so, it's so intricate. Um, and it's also so different for everyone because every disability is different. Wow. Yeah. There's a lot to think about. I think, yeah, as someone without a disability, we just take, take it for granted just being able to leave the house and grab your phone and, and bang you you're gone so that's yeah it's really good insight um well, we know the uh the building inclusive sports club forum is coming up can can you tell us a little bit about that event and also how people can get involved yeah so we've got five forums um from monday the 11th of march to friday the 15th um and every day is a different state or territory so wa queensland this is the this is the order wa queensland vic, vic tassie um act and then victoria on the friday um but all the information is on disability sport australia's website anyway if you type in building inclusive sporting clubs or i guess if any links and stuff are in the show notes um but we're having our facilitators come in and facilitate the sessions and we're actually showcasing clubs that have been part of the project and the incredible things that they've done throughout their time with us. So we're looking at things like, it's so cool, um, one of our clubs had already had an all-abilities basketball um, program but then introduced a, a vision um impaired basketball program during it. Um, we've got Boccia, we've got... Um, cycling for people like vision impaired cycling like can you imagine riding a bike and you can't see um wow yeah it's really really <laughs> nah. the programs that the people are running are so amazing we've got an amazing person in queensland who's been running a project or a program for 10 years and it's bmx like accessible bmx and um it just is like there is so many cool things out there. So we've got our facilitators that are coming in and, and telling the stories and the clubs telling the stories and then we have our peak sporting bodies that are coming in and, and other government departments that are coming in from each state and territory to talk on what they've been doing and what they're wanting to um, do in terms of access and inclusion in the sporting space. Um, and by coming, 
you can then book in for a one-on-one peer session with one of our facilitators for a lived experience peer session or with me as well. So um, it's, I'm really excited. It's going to be, it's a huge amount of work. My Excel spreadsheet is very full, um, but it's going to be so wonderful to really showcase all of the wonderful things that we've been doing and to showcase these facilitators and, um, you know, it sometimes can feel like you're preaching to the choir with this type type of stuff, um, especially if you're in your little access and disability bubble. But to be able to share these stories out to, um, you know, more people, um, I feel really chuffed that we're doing, we've done such an incredible job with this project. So you can register, yeah, through the Disability Sport Australia website, um, or you can email me at VU, which um, is L like McPherson, E-double-L-E dot steel, S-T-W-E-L-E-1 at V-U dot E-D-U dot A-U. Um, yeah, but it's going to be wonderful. Amazing. We'll, um, we'll put a link to that website and your email address in the show notes for anyone who wants to reach out and find out more about that. Um, we've got one final question for you, which is is usually around like advice to younger, younger self, but I think, you know, this is perhaps a better tie into what you're just talking about there. But I was wondering if if you could somehow hack the internet and send a text message out to everyone on the entire planet and you only had <laughs> you only had a hundred characters to use, what short sentence or message would you want to send to the world? I really want to say if you were a dessert, what type of dessert would you make? But I would not. (laughs) I would send something like, I feel like it's like if you would only chat to your your local person with a disability, you would realise that we were just like you. Um, One of the big things that I really talk a lot about and I sometimes feel like I'm repeating myself a lot is yeah I'm just like you I have hopes and dreams and um that are you know just like Hollywood movies um I go to gigs and I you know am lactose intolerant and I have a cat and I love you know different types of going to the beach with my family or reading books I just happen to use a wheelchair to get around and the the more that people can see us like for our humanness um i feel like that will really change the perception of disability in the country and the world yeah in this country and the world which is way more than 100 characters but i would try and do some symbols for ends and stuff like that (laughs) (laughs) a few few smart emojis yeah (laughs) yeah can you use chat gpt just to reduce it down a little bit i'm sure we'll get it out we could yeah (laughs) Elle, before we wrap up, uh, Rubes, any other episodes that we've done in this space that we can recommend for, for those listening in? Yeah, for anyone else who wants to hear from another uh, gold medalist and Paralympian, uh, we interviewed uh, Matt Levy uh, a couple of years back. I think he was around episode uh, 110-ish. And then um, for anyone else who wants to dive into more of the diversity and inclusion space, we spoke with Anna Livingston from Tennis Australia uh, around episode 146 or so. So uh, a couple more in that space that people might enjoy. Amazing. Well, Elle, thank you so much for joining us and, and sharing your story and being vulnerable and, and just letting the world know um, your message. I think just looking at your career, um, it's just incredible what you've been able to do both as a Paralympian and also outside of your Paralympian career. And it's just been great to hear about the work you're doing in this space and, and what's happening and um, yeah, it's just a pleasure to have you on tonight. So thanks a lot. Thanks so much for having me. Guys, it is time now for the people's segment of the podcast, Ask Sports Grad, where every week we answer a question directly from our community. If you'd like to ask a question, well, you must be a Sports Grad member. Our next intake is in May. So head to our website at sportsgrad.com.au slash community to join the waitlist and keep up to date with our next intake. Rubes, this one comes from Sam and he says, any advice on how to best get involved in volunteering? I naively thought there would be more information on team websites, but I can't seem to find anything. 
Great question. Mm. And I had exactly the same problem when I was going through university. I assumed everyone had an internship. Mm. Not many people do. <laughs> uh, and to be honest with you, that's usually because a lot of organisations, you know, they've got a lot of different things to do. Thinking about an internship or a grad program, pathway program, usually falls to the bottom of the pile. Sports are under-resourced and lack money. And so it's just one of those things that kind of gets dropped off. So not your fault, Sam. That's just kind of the state of the industry. Unfortunately, it's not as streamlined as, say, banking or accounting or consulting like a lot of those big firms have opportunities to go into. Mm. Here's how you get around it, though. It's not impossible. So you can do one of two things. If you want to go to a grassroots club, I would go to them and say, firstly, the reason why you want to go to a grassroots club is because they always need help. They always need extra hands. There's no application process. Very rarely will you get turned away. And especially if you go to them and say, hey, this is how I can help you solve a problem. So if you want to get an opportunity to volunteer in grassroots, which there are some incredible networks in. I know a particular football club where Ricky Ponting's kids play, Gil McLaughlin's <laughs> kids play, and uh, one of our friends of the show, Yash, has... Uh, we won't some, name them. We won't name them. <laughs> we don't give free advertising here. <laughs> <laughs> we also want to protect Ricky Ponting. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's why I don't want to mention him. <laughs> I don't want, I've never met Ricky, but I know him to come hunting yeah. for me. Well, he's a good friend of the show, so we don't want to obviously, you know... Throw them under the bus. Yeah. But as you would know with the Uni Blues, like some football networks are made stronger than others. Yep. Um, hence how we got Peter Bruckner on the show. Mm. Anyway, so you want to go to a volunteer, you want to go to a grassroots club with a very specific ask and say to them, I can solve a problem for you doing X. For example, if you want to get into event management, go to them and say, hey, you know, example football club, I noticed that you don't have any events coming up this year and I checked your Facebook page and last year you didn't have many events as well. Can I help by throwing uh, three events this year? My first idea is for a trivia night. My second idea is for a reverse raffle and iPod shuffle night. And uh, within doing so, like my goal would be to help you raise $20,000 across the year, which would be revenue that you didn't have before. Any club president who's volunteering their time would be silly to turn you away. (laughs) So that's how I would do it with grassroots. Go with a specific ask and show them how you can either save them time or make them more money because grassroots clubs are short of both. And the examples of initiative that you'll get from doing that will probably be stronger than any sort of set internship program that an elite sporting club can give you. And I say that from having used that to get into Cricket Australia. Here's a second way you can go about it. If you want to go to a professional team, professional organization, same sort of approach. You want to show show them how you can save them time. Less opportunities to help them make money, but you can always help a team save their time. So this was a, a bit of advice that I got from a guy at Cricket Australia, but he said there will be that you could create your own job description for yourself. And that is essentially what you need to do because there's no internship program. So you need to create the internship program by coming up with your own job description. And the way you would do that is you would go to the head of a department and ask, what is the bottom 10% of everybody's role that's either getting missed or nobody wants to do? Could be random data entry, could be dropping stuff off at a warehouse, you name it. What's the stuff that's just getting missed or people don't doing it, don't want to do it? And say to them, I'll do that for you. So create your job description out of the bottom 10% of tasks that a current existing department doesn't want to do. And again, similarly, Mm -hmm. if people value their time and want to get more important things done, they'll probably say, yep, I'll handle this stuff to you. And that's how you create a role for yourself. So Sam, don't worry that there's not internship positions advertised online. Go and create yourself the dream internship you've always wanted. Love it. Love it. That was awesome. Mm. Go make that job description. That's it. Simple. Looking back on like when I was at cricket, that would have been great because like there's so many little things that people don't want to be doing. 100%. You know, like in the partnership team, it was like getting, you know, distribution and sending like bat stickers to Kookaburra to go and get them stickered. Mm. You know, like that's a tiny example, but like just one thing that like, you know, you could easily just ship off. So Mm. it's a great example. Yeah. Brilliant. Well, if you'd like to ask us a question for the podcast or ask any of our friends in sport a question, join our waitlist to become a sports group member. We've just had our latest intake and our next one is coming up in May. 
And each week we jump on virtual events like Q&A, speed networking nights, job fairs. It is absolutely all happening. Uh, It's a a chance for you to meet under industry professionals and grow your network. So get involved. You can find us on LinkedIn. Give us some love with a rating if you enjoy the show. Send it to a mate. I'm sure you've got a mate out there who would enjoy hearing us talk and talking to the best people in sport. I'm sure they'd enjoy it. But subscribe on Apple or follow on Spotify. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. Hey friends, one last thing before you go. If you really want to make an impact in sport, then subscribe to the Sports Grad newsletter. Inside, we share all the latest job openings and networking events, so you're always aware of opportunities to land a job and grow your network. Plus, we share a Q&A with professional on how they grow their career in sport. Here we talk about things like how they moved overseas or negotiated their salary or landed a new job or promotion, made a career change and so much more. It's kind of like a little boost of inspiration in your inbox before the weekend. So if you're like us, you're career driven and you're keen to progress quickly, you're going to love the Sportsgrad newsletter. To get it, head to sportsgrad.com.au forward slash newsletter to subscribe or follow the link in the show notes. See you next time.